2: This is a more than just podcast production.
3: Hey, everybody! Welcome to episode three hundred fifty-five of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Dimitra. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And I'm also joined by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Mm-hmm. All righty. So, yeah, we've been away for a bit. Uh, I, I should mention, too, that this this episode is being brought to you fine folks by Runway or Runway.team. So we'll talk about them in a bit. Yeah, so we have some follow-up items from my last episode with George. Um, the first one is we were talking about, uh, I don't know if you guys are, were following along, but we, we talked about um, AI and how the, um, uh, I forget what the, is it? What's the name of the the tool that's bringing and going out and scraping in the artworks and and turning people's uh, images or avatars, creating avatars for people? Is it Stable Diffusion? Stable Diffusion. Did I talk about this on the last um, show? I I don't don't recall. Anyway, uh, I found this post on... uh, Probably
4: more than just code, but uh, podcast. I think it came up from the artistic side and not the technology side. Yeah. So it's kind of blends or, or sits in between both worlds.
3: Yeah, right. It was because of the Disney Connection I brought it in. Yeah. So so this uh article or this post that was on uh Mastodon was pretty funny. It's it's uh artists are now taking back the uh they're they're fighting back by rather than complaining or trying to fight against the individual AI companies or how 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 would they possibly fight back? They're using AI to create um images of Disney and Mario and Spider Man, uh, you know, like Disney or Mickey Mouse with a machine gun kind of thing. Um, to sort of you know play with, like, to get the big boys to fight the fight for them rather than um, try and go after individual uh, people creating this stuff. So it's kind of funny that they're using the the big uh, companies to try and fight that stuff. And actually, just I think I don't have a link. I'll put a link in the show notes here, but uh, I didn't have a link here on the notes that um, there's a lawsuit, been a class action lawsuit started by artists in the United States to go after um, the the their artwork being used potentially being used in in these uh, stable diffusion pieces of work, right? Artworks. That's kind of cool. The other piece that's sort of a follow-up from from a long time uh, back here, every time Apple updates the Apple design resources, I always like to point out that they've they've been, you know, tuned up or brought up to date. Uh, A couple of minor things they did in January was they, uh, like a couple of weeks ago, they added uh, or updated the, the Photoshop library for creating production templates for like icons and things like that. But what I thought was interesting, and they've added a, a Keynote to um, the iOS 16 section where you can now uh, create mock-ups for your apps using Keynote, which is uh, kind of cool. I haven't tried it out myself, but that that's a pretty interesting um, use of an everyday tool that people would have at, at their disposal, right? Since we all have Keynote for free anyway, right? Pretty much. Isn't Keynote free, right? Is it these days? Yeah, I it is. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so that's, that's kind of
5: cool. Pretty cool. I'm sort of surprised they don't have Anything for Figma here? It seems to be Figma is the
3: Figma, yeah, that's true, one. yeah, yeah.
5: They have Sketch and Photoshop.
3: Yeah, there was a joke on uh, on on socials the other day, saying or actually just yesterday, saying show how old you are by by telling us what your the tool you design tool you used first. And like half of the room said Figma, yeah <laughs> and then one one guy says uh, Sketch. <laughs> he's, he's like he's the old guy in the crowd, right? Of course, I had to throw in that I started with Illustrator eighty eight back in nineteen eighty eight. But, uh, yeah, that's by the point. Um, oh, and what I, was I just the one,
5: to, what was the one in the nineties? Um, freehand. No, there was it wasn't that one. It was really good because it, it was much better at doing 3d stuff than some of the other tools, but it's gone now. It's long no, gone. No.
3: You mean uh, like the Macromedia stuff or no, it, it
5: competed much. with Macromedia, as I recall.
3: Hmm. Really? Uh,
5: well, it wasn't. You mean like, 3D, 3D, render, 3D, like 3D, 3D
3: texting and stuff like that? Like yeah. It,
5: like if you, want, if you want to make a drawing and have it, like, you know, render, stretch it out to make it look like 3D, pseudo 3D, not real 3D, but.
3: Yeah, I know what you mean. But
5: yeah. um, it, was, it was really good for that. I can't remember. I'll have
3: to. I'll have like to look it like After Effects or anything, anything like that? No, or? no, no. Okay. Hmm. Well, uh, I did this podcast. I did this podcast. It has 3D type in it, but I did that by hand in Photoshop, so because I'm old school. By hand in Photoshop, that's kind of an ironic way to say it too. It's like uh, it's like the Flat Earth people, you know, say they have membership all around the globe. But um, I'll let that sink in for a minute. Um, I, I just want to get your opinions because we haven't been on the show since all this st- stable diffusion and um, GPT came out. And I just want to get a sort of a, you know, idea what you guys are thinking about ChatGPT. I, I assume you've seen some of the code samples that's been created and um, you can get it to write you an essay and that kind of stuff.
5: Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have a real strong opinion on it. I mean it's it's I think it's pretty cool. Um it actually works remarkably well for a lot of things uh for generating text. I've never seen code that it generated. I've never looked at that. Uh but um yeah, I mean it, it's it's sort of not surprising that it's gotten to this point, right? It's uh you know, uh natural language processing has come an enormously long way. So you just couple that with a with with a some neural networks under the hood and and you got it right so i'm not yeah. surprised that's kind of cool is it going to change the world maybe i don't know
3: well it's interesting like i mean i've played around with it a bit for writing code and i know that when you write code with with the tool you know you will ask it to build you a login screen or something like that or or you know deal with some some kind of thing it'll do like sort of the basic approach right and if you want to tune it you have to tell it okay let's do it with this and like it's almost like you have to instruct it to get a little bit more complicated, or or get more complex, or, or handle, you know, more sophisticated things before it'll start writing you a really sophisticated piece of programming, right? Um, and but yeah, it's cool. I've seen it do Python. I've seen it do Swift. You know, I've I've tried it out with Swift a few times, and there's a lot of you know videos online from people trying it out. But one one interesting thing I saw the, just yesterday again was um, somebody had taken a, a a Swift some Swift code that they had written. And passed it into chat GPT and said write the comments for the what this code is doing and it added the comments into the into the, the into the, the block to show where what the actual parts of the you know what the for loop was doing and what the you know general idea behind the the method was right and that was kind of a that's an that's interesting cool. use of it yeah that's pretty cool yeah so I want to do the ad read thing so we can talk about uh, our sponsor. Runway is a platform that helps your mobile team automate and collaborate on app releases. Top mobile teams are using Runway to offload manual busy work, but get on the same page during release cycles, increasing app quality and allowing the team to get back on to great building great apps. By integrating all the tools you already use, Runway gives your entire mobile team a single source of truth. That's one place to review and sign off on work, automate releases end-to-end, track release health and stability and get a complete overview of how your team is performing from release to release runways at a glance transparency and helpful alerting makes mobile release process smoother and easier to manage from kickoff to submission to release and everything in between put your release train on autopilot and take the guesswork out of shipping updates so your team can get their work into the user's hands more quickly and confidently Morning, just code or listeners can get an extended trial of runway's powerful business plan to get started head to runway.team slash mtjc and that's cool so i took this uh for a test drive um last, last month and uh you know as we work at that uh where i work currently we we use a lot of the tools that that are in that you can integrate into um into the tool like we have we use bitrise for our CI/CD, and i know we have um sentry for monitoring and you know we use github um and what else do we have in here that uh we integrate with uh we have we use mixpanel and google analytics for android folks uh we use you know feature flags with optimizely um and it's well bit bit rise and so it what when you go into the runway control panel and you see all these various things and you connect all your accounts including your apple account and your test flight account and then um uh, basically when you when you do a build or when you do a release it automates through basically automates all these different processes runs through to you know sends errors to, to sentry so you can follow up on them and that kind of stuff and Kind of a cool, cool little uh, one sort of, Jaime was mentioning earlier, like it's kind of a one control panel place to sort of set up all the things. And you, don't, you, don't, you can opt in and out of different things. Like if your QA is using TestRail, for example, you can use TestRail, right? And you can integrate with things like Jira and Slack and stuff like that so that you can have the automated notifications and ticket managing and all that kind of stuff.
4: Yeah, I was thinking about it as sort of an analogy to like slack so a lot of folks think that like salesforce bought slack for something like 27 billion dollars because it's a neat chat app with cool emoji and i'm sure that some tiny sliver of that but really i think the reason slack was worth so much uh, as an acquisition target was because it's increasingly like the way that you run your operations of your business. And I think that this tool certainly feels a lot like that too, looking at all the sort of integrations that it does with, um, you know, with Slack, with GitHub or GitLab, with Bitrise, uh, with, um, you know, other things test, like test or Google, test,
3: Google play. Yeah.
4: Yeah. So it, it increasingly becomes an easy way to answer sort of self-service all the the questions that people might have compliance might want to know, Hey, did we get, you know, the new EULA agreement in there? And they can look in the face. Oh, there it is. Cool. Compliance signs off on its part without somebody having to be the release manager or release marshal and like go rounding up all the cats. Right. And you can have, from what I see here in their material, like things like, Oh, um, the partial rollout, it has some interesting bugs that came up all right cool Bugsnag is grabbing stuff and we're trying to see does this hit thresholds that should roll back the release and just automate away a lot of the things that you would have to spend a lot of, of time on and especially when you get to a larger team it becomes a lot more problematic to keep that all in sync yeah
3: definitely yeah like sentry Bugsnag, firebase is also integrated into it as well like you i mean you can integrate into it so it's cool. Like it's it's um like I said we use a lot of these tools. I, I was fortunate to join the team and a lot of the stuff all this automation has already been configured, but you know if I was starting from scratch it would be a great place to sort of give it a shot. So anyway, like I think the standard trial is a month for free, but uh as you can see they're giving our listeners an extended extended trial. So you know if you're interested in in looking into what it will, will do for you, give it a shot, you know, sign up, get a get a trial going. Anyway, the reason why we got together today is um, Apple did another one of their sort of stealthy... uh, We were calling it a keynote, doing air quotes, um, yesterday to introduce the new... Well, the new Mac M2 Pro and M2 Max uh, processors, um, which are... They had the M2 out last year, last fall, for, and they put it into the MacBook Air, and they put it into the Mac Mini... No, not Mac Mini, MacBook 13 Pro, and... um, so now they've got the and you know, the Mac Mini. I read something the other day that the Mac Mini hasn't really been updated in a while. But I thought Mac Mini was part of the first M ones as well. But
5: uh, yeah, I have one of those.
3: Yeah. So the M2 Pro and M2 Maxes are now available in the Mac Mini configuration, and as well, they also brought out the um, the new uh, MacBook Pro 14 and 16s. So you have, you have an M1. I had, I had the, the demo, the test one that was, it was, I think it wasn't using an M1 chip. It was using an Apple Silicon A13, I think, uh, when they first announced the, the Apple Silicon chips for Max. So you have an M1. What do you think about it?
5: Oh, well, I've been using it since I got it, which has now been at least a couple of years now. Uh, and it works fine. Truth is I don't do a lot of heavy duty stuff on my home machine these days. Uh you know I have a work machine which is an, an M1 Max laptop for work stuff so I use it really just for <laughs> surfing the web and reading email that's about, about it but it's perfectly fine for that works great boots up fast still I still get a couple of weird little glitchy things that happen every once in a while like I've always had problems. like I use a uh, as you know I use a bluetooth keyboard and and trackpad and it's it's been doing this Since day one, every once in a while, and I don't, I don't know what the pattern is, but every once in a while, just I won't be able to click on the trackpad. It just stops. I can, I can, you know, move around. I can scan with the move the cursor around. So it's detecting things and it's connected, but it just doesn't register taps or clicks or anything. And the only way Hmm. I can fix that is to reboot.
3: Really? Like there's no, like I guess the Bluetooth just shuts down or whatever, right? Like,
5: yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, it, no, the Bluetooth is, is okay. Cause I can pan around, I can move the cursor.
3: Oh, okay. Right. right. It
5: just doesn't register taps or clicks. Don't know what that is.
3: Yeah. It's weird. I, I, I kind of have a similar thing happening on, on my, my phone sometimes. Like I'll, I'll go to tap something and it just kind of sits there for a minute. It's almost like there's something blocking my like process blocking or something like that. eh? like, yeah. yeah and now, I mean, are, are you using silicone these days or? No, I'm still hanging on to the uh, Intel
4: MacBook Pro that I have. Um, But these are, uh, you know, these are looking pretty interesting. Like They got the weird spec bump treatment, and I guess on on paper they are, but um, this just helps the proliferation of the M2 and all of Apple Silicon, where I think, is it just the Mac Pro that's left as the outlier?
3: Yeah, actually, yeah, I think it's the only Intel machine right now, right? The, The cheese grater one you're talking about. Yes. Yeah? Yeah, Interesting. yeah. And it's funny. Greg and I saw the studio, the new studio. What's it called? I think it's Mac Studio. What do they call it, the new one with the little heatsink on the back. And Greg and I went to the Apple Store here in Toronto when he was here for the holidays. All right, let's talk about let's talk about the uh, the the M2 and the M2 Pro, and then we'll dig into the the Mini as it got both of these in there. So Apple in there did a little sort of keynote uh, presentation. They didn't talk much about, I, and they tend not to do this about all the you know the sort of significant things in it. Um, but this, uh, um, actually I'm just looking at the M2. So the, wait a minute, the M2 is in the, um, is M2 in the mini? I, I think I've got a, a couple of a, shots. No, no the M2 Pros in the mini, isn't it? Oh, yes, you're right. I'm just kind of scrubbing through yeah. the YouTube. So I've got a screen here for the M2. So let's talk about that real quick. So that's up to 24 gigabytes of memory. It gets the high, high performance media engine. I'm reading off the slide I sent you guys yesterday. 40% faster neural engine. Faster than what? I don't know. Guess m one i guess uh it's funny that they they compared all their their stats against m one um 15.8 trillion operations per second 16 core neural engine uh 8 core 8 core uh cpu and up to 10 core gpu um giving it 18% faster cpu 35% faster f gpu 50% 50% more ban- memory bandwidth 100, 100 megabit 100 gigabits per second memory bandwidth and 20 billion transistors right and can support a, a 6K external display, which is the the high res, the pro high res, right, or the what, XDR. Um, but the M2, um, I just don't know what it, uh, it supports. M- Thunderbolt 4. This one's up to 32 gigs of of memory, um, 20% faster CPU, uh, and 30% faster GPU. 12 core CPU. 19. And they, they, in the in the um, uh video they explain that uh, eight of those cores are um like uh sort of main ones and then there's a faster figure what they call the faster uh cores that are in the cpu they've got four of those in there making a total of 12 um a 19 core gpu again the five nanometer technology <laughs> which we talk about all the time um and the pro oh, sorry then the, then the max kicks it up to um uh 696 gigabytes of memory this is quite a significant amount of memory it, it handles 12 core GPU 38 core GPU uh 400 megabits megab- per second memory bandwidth that's I assume that's pretty quick eh, amr and uh 67 billion transistors so quite a quite a hefty hefty jump in terms of um capability and speed right
5: but how much faster does it really feel when you use it that's a real question these are just numbers you know <laughs> honestly <laughs>
3: No, I know, I, and, and and it's like, you know, the the little commercial they showed uh, in the video is just so like, it's so fast, I can scrub, like, in real time, and, um, yeah, it's hard to hard to say what, what you really compare these things to, right? Um, I guess if you're rendering, you know, the game engine kind of stuff, it might make a difference, right? Or video, or high-res video, that kind of stuff. But, I mean, supporting up to 8, like, the Mini, as an example, says it can support up to 8K um, uh, video, um through hdmi which is pretty impressive right can support up to three displays now i think the one you mark have now do you know how many monitors it'll support off top of your head
5: Uh, wasn't there something about it it could only support one external monitor
3: yeah i recall that being well that was the case with the little the the developer machine right it only supported one yeah Uh, but yeah i think that was a limit of of m1 yeah
5: i think so uh You know, I don't. I haven't tried plugging in more than one monitor, so I don't really know.
3: Yeah, and looking at the back of the mini, it looks like it still has four uh, Thunderbolt ports, the USB C ports. Um, It has Ethernet built in, which is nice, and uh, HDMI, and it also has two USB A ports. I guess you know, it's funny. Four
5: USB C ports. That's 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 an improvement. Oh, two. Oh, sorry,
3: USB C four. Yeah, four Thunderbolt ports.
5: Oh, that's nice. I've, I've only got two on mine. I've got two USB C and two USB A. Right. And then you have an HDMI. Is, which can as be well. kind of limiting. Do you have optical yeah.
3: load on that one? Well, I guess it wouldn't matter if you have optical on that one. But uh, you do have HDMI, right? Uh, I'm trying to feel around in the the back of it. <laughs> Let me... It's
5: where your monitor is. It's not, not like a laptop. A... It's hard to turn uh, it around. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially I don't know
3: when you're on the show.
5: I think i have got HDMI. Yeah. I think so.
3: Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure you do because I I recall running my mini off my TV at, in my in my family room here. Um, yeah, so quite an impressive little piece of machinery. I mean, especially if you're going to use it for a build machine or something like that, right? Um, uh, and you can put you can put the M2 Pro. Well, sorry, this one, the mini can come with the M2. That's why I had the M2 slide. It can mini can come with M2 or M2 Pro? Right? It doesn't do the max. The max is going to go into the only into the 14 and 16. Right
5: that's a high-end one
3: yeah yeah and uh yeah what do you think on i mean it seems pretty
4: snazzy i'm still kind of weirded out by the 19 core gpu so the the uneven number (laughs) is weird that it's not 18 and it's not 20 i don't know what sort of um binning practices go into uh this sort of thing but i'm sure there's a good reason that it's in an uneven number That's an odd number
3: yeah it's weird looking at the looking at i guess it may, maybe maybe it it'd be in how the chip laid out because um if you look at the little graphic they got here they it's literally like it's like 10 gpus on the top row and then nine on the bottom row maybe maybe it just sort of bumped into the way they laid out the chip you know
4: i feel like the m2 max answers my question even though it's still kind of a very strange number um, so by comparison, the M2 Max has up to a 38-core GPU, so that would be precisely double the 19. It's still kind of a strange number, um, so I guess I guess that's uh, how that ends up working.
3: Yeah, you know, this is weird. I'm looking at this... Um, so you know how we we're always talking about there's too many iPads <laughs> to choose from? There are now too many Macs to choose from. Um, like, I'm just looking at the... I went to the comparison page, and if you, if you click on the little pull-down menu, you, you've got... MacBook Air M two, MacBook Air M one, MacBook Pro thirteen M two, MacBook fourteen M two Pro and M two Max, and you've got the MacBook Pro sixteen M two Pro M two Max. Then you've got desktop machines, which are the M- the iMac M one with two ports, iMac M one with four ports, a Mac Mini M two or M two Pro, the Mac Studio, which is M one Max or M one Ultra. We forgot about the oh yeah, the Studio still M ones, right? Uh, not M2s and uh, the MacBook Pro. Sorry, a Mac Pro Intel, which we talked about. And then there's more laptops on top of that. There's like a couple of Intel machines. Is this current? This can't be current machines. No, Where are you
5: looking? I'm looking at Apple's website. I don't see any of that.
3: Uh, if you go to the comparison page, right? You know, if you go to compare Mac models, go to under Mac and then go to compare Mac models. Yeah. And if you click on the one, if you you got the three Macs across the top, and if you click on the pull down menu. At the top? Or I mean where you select the, the models you want to compare? I'm still looking for the So they have the current the current Macs are the five that they that I or the current laptops are the five that I mentioned, and then there's five current desktops. And then they have got more I guess more Macs in your comparison basis, right?
5: Oh, I see it now, okay.
3: Oh you do? <laughs> well, well part, part I'll part share of it. it I'll share it so high I can see.
5: Yeah. See all models, okay.
3: So these are these are the five um current laptops. Right. And then those are the five current desktops. And then, but then they've got all these other, like, I guess these other these are recently, you would have recently purchased some of these devices, right? Um, so which one do you have now currently, Jaime? You have a, a 14 or a 16? About
4: this Mac. About this Mac says, oh, it looks different in uh, Ventura. The MacBook Pro 16 inch from 2019. But that's what an Intel? Yes, it's running a two point six gigahertz six core intel core i seven
3: yeah interesting oh so there's a yeah t- macbook pro sixteen uh, is it twenty nineteen you said twenty nineteen that's probably it's probably mine that yeah you can okay buy so we can we can make a comparison between Jaime's lame computer <laughs> and the new one About <laughs> <laughs> to but go to a farm up state kind of computer right yeah there there's your there's your comparison there, so yeah. Yeah, but you want to see the 19 one? That's the one that really.
5: Wait, don't really compare good. to the 16 inch M1 Pro. That's not a current
3: one, is it? No. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, right. M2. Yeah. So you got your uh, your lowly Core 9, i9 <laughs> Intel processor. Remember when those were like the hottest thing on the planet? Um. Hmm. You have a separate GPU, like a separate chip, right? Mm-hmm. You only get eleven hours battery light? How do you live with that? Huh?
4: It could go up to 96 gigs on uh, on the RAM. Do you see that? And you can only 64 go to 64. is what right? mine has. Um yeah. And then it looks like this maxes out at uh, 96, up to 8 terabytes of storage. So looking at this here, now granted, my current laptop, you know, has had wear and tear on the battery, so it's not going to get that 11 hours that they're talking about.
3: I don't think it ever but got 11 hours to be honest with If know. it was, yeah. you know,
4: brand spanking new... Uh, it hypothetically doubled the battery life there and the way that they're testing this so that's pretty neat i bet you have a touch bar too right right i do have a touch bar that's right
5: yeah uh, interesting. so that reduces the comparison value for your machine then i mean <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> depends on your opinion that's like right. your opinion man that is yeah. my opinion yes yeah no I, I i happen to like the touch bar I miss it on my, uh, my device. My, you know, it's funny. As much as I miss it, I don't really miss it. You know, like I still have it. Carol's machine still has the touch bar, right? But if I really, really oh, feel, just, I need to use it.
5: Just wait for the new Touchscreen Macs that are rumored for next yeah, year. Yeah, well, year we'll after.
3: see. We'll see how tired my arm will be, according to Steve Jobs, right? I was in the Best Buy at Christmas time, and I noticed that the 13-inch M2, right? The 13-inch Pro M2 still has a track, pa- track bar. It only has two ports on one side, but it still has a track bar. It's the only it's huh. the only Mac out there right now that has a track bar. And it's an M2, It's an M2. Wow! It just updated, like just updated uh, what um, a few months ago, right? In the fall. Huh. Yeah, weird, eh? Like the M1 Air and the M and the so the M the MacBook Air is now an M2, and the MacBook Pro 13 is also an. M2. It's like sort of a consumer level Pro machine. You know, it's kind of a weird um weird device that sits in that sort of and it has a fan too whereas the, the air doesn't have a fan right mm-hmm. i watching a video about a guy putting in thermal those thermal pads uh inside an in air to dissipate some of the heat on the, the bottom case you know because apparently the, the processor throttles when it gets hot you mm-hmm. know yeah so if you if you use the you know the thermal shielding or thermal i don't know it's like a pad or whatever
5: yeah yeah it's a heat sink
3: basically yeah, like yeah. it just transfers it to to the bottom case and then uh, then the device can run faster or longer kind of thing okay let's dig into the into the macbook pros uh, the 14 and the 16 right oh so, uh we've got hd uh, hdmi port uh, again thunderbolt i think these only have three thunderbolts like my my 16 inch um only has three it has a magsafe right uh, and the Thunderbolt, and to be honest with you, like I use the MagSafe here on my desk. But when I'm traveling, I don't take the MagSafe charger with me. I just bring a regular USB, you know, charger, USB C oh, charger, right? Yeah. So because you can charge the Mac from any 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 USB port, right? USB C port. So yeah. Wait, what do you have for work, Mark? Is it a 16 inch? I have
5: a 16 inch um, uh,
3: Max M1 Max. Yeah. Yeah, Same as me.
5: I I bring the I bring the uh, MagSafe with me. I mean, as you know, as a USB charger any lighter weight
3: i i bought myself a like anchor makes one and i bought a small one off of um off of amazon and it's basically got two USB Cs. it's a 65 watt charger mm-hmm. two USB Cs and a USB A, so i can charge all the things mm. when i'm traveling right okay yeah um i mean like you know if you've got more than one thing plugged in obviously it doesn't crank out 65 watts per port but still it's it's strong enough to charge my my uh, my mac and my ipad because i've also got the intel ipad right just C as well um yeah so that's that's cool and plus now i've got the you know the watch and the like i've got the ultra watch much i don't know if I told you that mark but um but i also everything everything's usbc pretty much um except my iphone well it uses magsafe and the magsafe is C, right
5: well Yeah. And I mean, you could always, you could get a USB-C to lightning cable if you wanted to, but it's... Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I've got those too. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Like, you know, you remember the air power I have, we, Carol and I both got the, um, the new charger thing that has like, it has like a watch, uh, pops up for the watch. And then it's also got a MagSafe on it and it plugs in with a lightning cable. This is for an Apple product. And it's, it basically charges those two. The only thing it doesn't charge is, is if I had AirPods, which I don't have. Right. So, but it's, it's, pretty much i guess the the equivalent of uh, the air power like the air power was supposed to be able to charge no matter where you put things down right wasn't that the, the magic behind it
5: yeah it was a the it was a giant pad you just put stuff down on top of it and it would charge it yeah
3: yeah mm-hmm. so one thing i thought was cool about this this the 14 inch and the 16 is they both have xdr displays now right um I had heard a couple of days ago, last week or so, that somebody was thinking it might be a mini, mini OLED or a mini LED on these devices. But these are Liquid Retina Display XDR. So the same quality as the big Pro monitor, right? Hmm. So the ones they came out with last year and, and the Pro Pro Display XDR. What's XDR? Extended Dynamic Range? Is that what that stands for? I think you nailed it. it I think that's right. what it is. Yeah. And yeah. Studio Quality Microphone.
4: Yeah, I think... Um, the newer laptops ended up getting a better camera after people complaining for such a long time. Right. And I think they got better oh, yeah? microphones too. Um, I didn't see in this video covering the new laptops. Uh, I don't remember specifically what, if anything they said, but wouldn't surprise me that they would use the same better hardware across the board for their laptops.
3: Yeah. They had, uh, cause I know that on the, on the iMacs, they came up with better cameras, right? Because of the whole working from home thing. Right. That was one of the things I talked. We talked about last time, right? When we covered that camera. Here you go, right, a 1080p FaceTime HD camera. Let me pull up one of the IMAX here, so we can see we compare it to that. The fancy, schmancy IMAX. Oh look, they only have M ones. How lame is that? <laughs> yeah, so same camera that went into the uh, into the new IMAX. Yeah, you're right. Tommy, about that. And built-in Dolby Atmos and spatial audio with dynamic head tracking. Oh, when using AirPods, what? Why would? that matter <laughs> that's weird eh why why would the why would spatial audio with dynamic head tracking when using airpods third generation matter when you're using a laptop i guess it's got some sort of way of telling where your head is relative to the screen is yeah I think, I'm I think it's using one of those
4: uh is it u1
3: w1 chips I yes. which one. Yeah, it's a U U something chip yeah you're right that was in the spec i saw somewhere and it's also got the wi-fi 6e which is new right and I heard that, uh, I was reading somewhere that um, Wi-Fi 6E, not every application will support that protocol. Had you heard that? It's all news to you guys, right?
5: If it's Wi-Fi, why
3: should the application have anything to do with it? That's at the... I don't know. That's just one of the things I read. I, I, I could go back and read the article and see, but... That sounds a little strange. I mean, anything's
5: possible, but that sounds a little weird.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It looks pretty cool. Oh, eight, eight terabyte S- SSD drive there, Jaime. How about that? You could have all all your Pokemons in one place, and download all those streaming shows you're watching, right? I don't recall what I have. I think I have a one terabyte. Is that what I've got? Yeah, I, I bought a two and regretted it. I have a one in my air now. Yeah, one one terabyte here. So yeah, so the power supply is a 67 watt USB C on the on the 14. It's 140 watt USB C power power adapter on the um, 16 inch. Interesting. You can heat up your coffee with that real quick. So I am I guess, you know, typical, go around the table, are you looking to upgrade your Mac Mini, Mark, to the M2 Pro, Mac, well, Ultra? Well,
5: you know, that's an interesting question. I don't if remember, but we talked about this when I first got the, the Mac Mini, that my strategy was to get a Mac Mini when they first came out so I could get an M1 chip and then hold on to it until the laptops came out. And then I would get. A laptop cuz i was replacing a laptop uh, and uh once i got the laptop then i just used the you know the mini as a server or something like that and the pandemic happened and it and i pretty much never had a need to take my laptop take a laptop and go anywhere so uh so i'm still using that mac mini so now the question is well first of all do i need to update i'm not actually 100% sure i need to update at this point but if i did would I go for a laptop again or would I go for another mini? That's it's a good question. I don't know. I don't really have a lot of need for a laptop these days.
3: Yeah. But if you were like going, if you wanted to go work in a coffee shop or go for a burrito or something like that, like, wouldn't it be nice to have, would you, would you take your laptop or you just wouldn't take your laptop to work? Well, to I just wouldn't without?
5: take my laptop. I, you know, I, even when I travel these days, I don't take my laptop because I, I generally just take an iPad and I can, I mean, I can't write code, obviously uh, I can't do real work, but. If I'm traveling for business, then that's one thing. Yeah. But if I'm just traveling for, for personal stuff, um, I don't even bring, I don't bring my laptop. I just bring an iPad. So yeah, it's a good question. How about you, Jaime?
3: Are you, are you ready to make the jump or you don't need a laptop either these days? I don't need a
4: laptop at the moment. And the, the nice thing is that, you know, there's, Fewer occasions of people complaining about specific developer tools not working. I think the vast majority of that is in the rearview mirror for people jumping over Apple Silicon. So, I think as I probably said when the first Silicon Max came out, I said, "Well, I can I can afford to to wait it out for uh, for Father Time to win, where I eventually just gracefully upgrade to a new Apple M whatever uh, that's available that year." And all my developer tools work without any messing around with anything.
5: Now, one thing to consider: this is not a big deal for me, but it might be for you, Jaime, or maybe for others. Is that apparently? I didn't even think of this, but apparently, a lot of a lot of games, when when the Macs were on the Intel chip, it was very easy to just take the Windows version of the game and port it over because it was all running on the same chip, and they're all the, a lot of the developer tools just worked naturally uh and it was very you know like I said it was very easy to port. But now that we're on the M1, they have to go back to running it in some kind of unless they rewrite the the code, they have to they have to uh run it in some kind of emulator mode. They have to run it in what was it, Rosetta or, or something. And so even with the super fast Apple Silicon, you don't necessarily get the best you get as good gaming performance as you might have on an older generation Intel. Have you heard about this? I haven't,
4: and I've migrated to mostly a combo of um, games that you know eventually made their way to the Mac and are, are natively mm-hmm. running on the laptop, or to uh, streaming services that bypass all of that, at the expense of, you know, if your internet's bad,
3: you're going to have a bad time. But I have not, unfortunately, kept up to date with what you're talking about. Mm. Okay, but speak, speaking of real-time follow-up, Mark, I found the article I was talking about, and I'm just looking at it here, and it, there's a um, a post here that says, you know, changes are needed in macOS, uh, and it's framework for third-party apps that take advantage of the new 6E Wi-Fi interface. It says, hoping I'm hoping Apple will make those changes soon. So it doesn't specifically say what apps per se, but I guess it's ones that tap into the... And it
5: doesn't say... Uh, hold on. Framework. Don't scroll so fast, I'm trying to read what you right. here.
3: How about that uh, Last of Us show, Jaime?
4: Oh, <laughs> yeah, uh, pretty pretty good. Definitely a reason to uh, continue your HBO Max subscription if you still got it.
5: <laughs> Wait, what show are you talking that, about?
3: The Last, the Last of Us just started. Oh. So I went and downloaded the game for PS4, and then, of course, I had no room on my drive, so I had to upgrade the drive inside my PS4, and then it took five hours to download the game. It was like, you know took me like a day to just to get
5: wait to play what are you guys this. talking about what game
3: the last of us the last of us tv show is based on a game called the last of us from 2014 oh i see okay so let's get back to the the matter in hand what, what yeah, did yeah I, mean, I out? I, yeah
5: i can't really get anything out of this article uh but my i guess that you know you need to have some kind of uh, some different api in, in order to get the get mm-hmm. access to the to the to the 6c and well, that is it's this guy, the guy from in,
3: with... the guy from intuibits the co-founder and developer adrian grandos um, that, you know, he has a wi-fi take advantage of that um, so yeah yes, he's got the wi-fi explorer app which is basically something that checks your your local local machine local network right so he is, his specific tool is for networking right or for examining your networking so that may be, he may be finding that that his current uh um, execution or implementation isn't uh, savvy with the new chips, new Wi-Fi chip. Yeah, but I mean, it's not like, going to affect Photoshop per se, right? Or you know, Xcode, let's say, like that.
5: Right. So, so the question then is: If you are just making a NS session, right, NS URL session call in the normal way, yeah. Uh, yeah. does that work with this new Wi-Fi? I would think it would have to, right? But, but maybe what he's, yeah, as he said, what he's talking about: if he, if he's, if he has a like a network analysis tool, uh he might be using some real low level under the hood APIs that get special info that that just isn't available because there isn't no API for it yet. And that's different than some application just making a standard network call through iOS or well not iOS, but Mac OS, uh and and uh and piping through the network layer. Yeah. I don't know. Can't really tell from that article at least. Interesting question.
3: though. Yeah, going to share my screen here. So I just, pulled, I just pulled up Apple's press announcement about the new chips to see if we can glean anything significant from there. Because, like, I, like I said, the keynote thing was very sort of high level; didn't really delve into too much, right? So these are the Apple System on the chip, uh, Apple Silicon uh, designs, right? They're just you know saying more GPU, more memory, more unified memory, and I assume these are going to all be the same sort of idea where you you the configuration you buy is a configuration you you live with until you buy a new Mac, right?
5: Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah,
3: I just flip through, through the three configuration. Yeah, I mean, That's especially
5: right. given that the the chips aren't even the same shape, right? It's not likely that you could just, if you wanted to upgrade, and get your soldering iron out and solder the chip yeah. and yeah. drop a new one in. You wow. can't do that, you can't do that anymore. No more of the days where you could you could if you had an old Mac and you wanted to extend the lifetime for another couple of years, you could just order an upgraded chip and just pop it in. I'm sure you did that, Tim, back in the day.
3: Uh, Well, I did do. I I used to use. um, I had. I think the Power PC days, right? When they went. When the G three came out, I think you could add a. If you had a sixty one hundred, you could add a newer, like from the company newer tech you yeah, could add yeah, a, exactly G, i yep. think I, I have one a G, i have a g3 board and i plug it into my into that mac and then suddenly it's a g3 right it was, it
5: was oh. owc wasn't it one world computing they were they owned Neurtech.
3: oh they own them now yeah yeah did, did they own them back then i don't or they i think they bought them i know they own them now right because you can still buy some of that stuff from them on the owc site right you can still buy some of that that product i thought they went out of business um, uh, oh, here's okay. an interesting, Amazing. here's uh-huh. an interesting uh, interesting metric here. They Apple's on Apple's press announcement, they've got code compiling in Xcode as a metric between the machines. Mm-hmm. So, it's uh the M M2 Pro mm-hmm. on the 16-inch is 2.5 times faster than Jaime's Core i Core i9 <laughs> MacBook Pro and it's 25% faster than than uh the M1.
5: Yeah. So, I mean, so that's, that's good. And that's nice and all, but is 25% faster enough to really make a difference? You know, when, when our builds, well, you know, I guess it depends how long your builds are. Um, but, and if you're, if you're using this for like a, uh, like a CI machine where it's constantly churning through builds, then yeah, maybe that makes sense. But if you're just a developer sitting at your own machine it's still annoying to wait instead of, you know, four minutes to wait three minutes <laughs> for a build well, to finish. And,
3: and also, when Jaime's, trying, when Jaime's trying to decide between using a for loop and a for reach, is, it, is this going to oh. make him 2.5% faster? <laughs> <laughs> 2.5 times faster, I'd say? No yeah no you're right i mean yeah i think for a build machine it would it would make a uh a difference in terms of or if you're building if building was what you're doing you know all the time that would make a huge yeah. difference and and we do notice that i mean like you know i know that with uh when i was at td bank we had you know a bunch of um uh M- m1 mini or minis that we used and then when we switched to the m1s we got significantly more uh throughput like we mm-hmm. like uh what would take half an hour would take like 20 minutes now instead of It wasn't like I couldn't really put a met, like say specifically twenty five percent, but it was definitely faster. Yeah, yeah. So much so that it made sense to to make the investment.
5: Yeah, yeah. But yeah, for your own machine, if it's long enough that that it interrupts what you're working on, then a twenty five percent improvement on that doesn't really help that much because it's once you've once you're distracted, once you're taken out of the context, it sort of doesn't matter. Unfortunately, now if it's two x, that's that's a difference and that's a different story.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, it is between like, according to, yeah. Yeah. Between Jaime's machine. Yeah. I is so right. much slower than, than everything else. Right. That's right. why it's taking so long to respond to us today.
4: <laughs> that's why.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's just the, the confluence of having
4: uh, not the latest Wi-Fi spec plus, you know, zoom and everything yeah. else just chewing
3: up my CPU and GPU plus, plus the internet and all the tubes that are on the internet, stuff like that. Yeah. Right?
4: It does make me wonder, um, you know, so they've got the, uh, the M2 with the Max and stuff, if they're going to end up with an Ultra version. Um, I think when the M1 Ultra came out, I had proposed that it was like duct-taping two Maxes together.
3: It if, mm. if literally, literally remember was, yeah. Correctly. Yeah, yeah that definitely. Was, it, was a, it was the two of them. They just didn't bother cutting them apart or something like that, right? But they designed it with, with the bus that so they just, if they didn't cut it, it would... Two chips together would act as one kind of thing. And that's that's what made the Ultra, and it was twice as wide. You're right. So th- this is like the Pro and the and the Max. Here are two separate chip designs, right? Um, specifically, one made to be better than the this, this, the previous, right? Too so bad we didn't have a chip expert on the show.
5: <laughs> well, what's the question, Tim?
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just saying like we were just talking about the architecture of of the Ultra. Jaime had reminded me that it was like a Siamese twin, right? Because they had that Siamese connection in the middle and, and they just didn't bother cutting the the board apart. And since the two were connected, they acted as one big giant chip, right? Uh, whereas these ultras, the ultra, sorry, the Max and the Pro are designed as separately different. They're they're from the layout different, right?
5: Right. Well remember the way they manufacture these things is these things are all on the, the surface of a wafer.
3: Yeah, exactly. And so you yeah, get yeah. a whole
5: grid of chips in every case. So you can't you can't easily. Well, I mean, you could in theory do this, but you wouldn't. You wouldn't put like a, a, a M1 regular M1 and a one Max or an M1 Pro on the same on the same wafer because uh, because the way these things work is it, it, there's like there's a machine called a stepper which you know patterns it in one spot, then it was the next spot, moves the next spot. Yeah. Uh, so, but but what you could do is if you have if you want to have two copies of the same thing as one thing, it's, it's still just doing that same stepping. Uh, and there's, a, there's a, um, you know, there's a, there's a line, there's a space in between each instance of the thing that you pattern where you'd normally just cut up the wafer and make your separate chips, your, or your die is out of it. And so it just completely makes sense that if you wanted to have one, uh, have a chip that were, Equivalent to two die, then you would just put them next to each other and you wouldn't cut it, right? I mean, it's completely, completely the right way to do it. So yeah, they're not doing anything super fancy there.
3: That's just yeah the way. I just I want to see if we can find a picture of last year's chip, um, yeah, to to back up what Jaime was saying because I remember you know what I mean. It was like it was like two chips together, right? And they had that one sort of bus in the middle.
4: Yeah, like, but can, I, right. I think you described it quite well, where it seemed like they could just cut it there like a, like a graham cracker. They just break them in half at the factory and <laughs> toss yeah. them in one pile versus another pile, right?
5: But that's what I'm saying is they, they you know, they all start out that way. And it's, it's just a matter of when we're cutting this thing up, how do we cut it up? Do we want to make single die ma- uh, maxes or do we want to make double die ultras? Yeah, right.
3: Yeah, right. yeah. It's just, exactly. Yeah.
5: yeah. And if if they're smart, if they were planning ahead, then they would have accounted for that when they started. So So I remember,
3: here's a a, a question I have for you. Because, I mean, when I started, you know, was in the reseller days, I had heard once that the difference between a 486 and a 386 was just the performance of the chip, right? Like they would make a bunch of them and then they would test them. And well, one
5: uh, between a three eighty six and the four eighty six, I don't
3: think. Or, so. or is a four eighty six X and a four eighty six plane or whatever? Yeah, like...
5: that's that's for sure true. That's for sure true. Uh, we used to do that all the time. Everybody did that. Where you'd have, whenever you manufacture anything, right? You get a distribution of of uh, of the of variables. The performances, right? yeah, 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 exactly. yeah, because. Yeah. Yeah with a with a transistor, let's say uh, the amount of oxide thickness you know changes the performance an enormous amount, even if it's just an incredibly small uh, variation. and just normal manufacturing statistics gives you a certain variation in any of these parameters. so you get a certain variation in the performance uh, and it can be quite wide you know it can be forty fifty percent you know, interested in standard, even with very tight manufacturing controls. So, you know, one thing you could do if you wanted to is like, you could say, okay, we're only taking the ones at the peak and some tolerance around the peak. And that's what we get. And we just ship those and we throw away everything else. But, you know, that's not cost efficient because now what do you do with all the ones? And you have some that are much faster. You have some that are much slower. So another thing you could do is you could say, all right, well, instead of take, instead of centering around the peak, we could say, okay, we're going to, we're going to take the ones that are a certain percentage lower than the peak and all the ones that are a certain percentage higher than the peak and sell those as the slower version and the faster version, and then you have the standard version. Or
3: yeah. you have these yeah. chips go to Apple and these chips go to Dell, right?
5: <laughs> no, no, no. They probably wouldn't do that because because the circuit performance will depend on the chip performance uh pretty significantly. So you have to... If you're, you have to say this, this chip that we're shipping you has a different spec with some tolerance. So right, you right. wouldn't send it, you wouldn't just send them to Apple unless, unless you gave Apple a, a guarantee that they're going to be at this faster level and you, and, and you get the, you know, the higher performance chip. I mean, yeah, you could, you could choose to only send the high performance ones to Apple. That's true. But, but more typically it would be like, um, the you know 46x or 486 standard like you like you were saying where you it would be very clear that this is a different product than this one and it has a certain set of specs and it has a certain design window around that performance that when you build your circuit you design around that that window
3: sure cool yeah all right well should we move on so today they, they announced this uh this new for uh, Jaime's favorite one and done home pod the original the og home pod uh, they've come out with an uh, a version 2 of that i don't know if you guys saw that today yeah, did it, did it have a yeah. Look? so interesting it looks it's got the top sort of uh L, or um little color uh screen on top like the the um minis do right uh and you know somebody joked today that they were going to cancel the mini but they haven't um and these work in the same way we can make a stereo pair and and they have more uh better computational audio uh, is it you know, computational audio is that what they call it? Yep. um yeah and and you know much more we we thought that they were done with this this style of um home pod but it looks like looks like it's uh, obviously not not gone forever right i was wonder if
5: yeah. last year or whenever it was that they supposedly got rid of them if if just the new version wasn't ready yet and so they delayed
3: it that's an interesting theory yeah yeah, yeah. because uh you're right they did uh did they get rid of them yeah like we and they both these ones also support the uh the um uh, intercom thing and, and it's a different speaker so i mean obviously i mean one of the questions that that might come across somebody's mind is that since it looks like the other one, can you make a stereo pair with the original one? And I would say probably not. Because that was the
5: first thing I thought of because I have a couple of the old ones. And I looked it up and yeah. uh, conclusively, no, you cannot match them. They, it does not work, which kind of sucks. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. yeah and they're... I mean, they're yeah. Yep. Can you make a stereo pair with the minis? Nope. Nope. You can't. Okay. Nope. And you can't use the minis in... Con- yeah, because I have... Like, on my HomePod TV, or my TV down here, I have two uh, two of the OGs, and then we have, what, OG up in the kitchen, and then we have a couple of minis throughout the house. So we have the whole intercom thing working and all that kind of stuff, right? And Siri still can't do half the things we ask her to do, but that's another story. <laughs> um, yeah. Are, you guys ever tried to set timers on your, on your HomePods?
5: <laughs> I can barely get my HomePod to not cut out every 30 seconds these days.
3: Really? Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, radio yeah. can be can be dodgy, but our radio comes through an app called TuneIn, right? Tune TuneIn Radio, yeah. So yeah, they have has trouble has trouble with you know with understanding. I guess our Canadian accents or something like that.
5: <laughs> yeah, I know. For me, it's just it's just um, just using you know Apple Music. Mm-hmm. Just it'll Same. it'll play it'll play for a minute or two and then stop.
3: And just stop? Yeah. Well, sometimes stop. the radio does that too, which is, but not. Music seems to be pretty, pretty consistent. Although, like, you got to complain, like, Carol. I get complaints from my number one user, which is Carol, that when she asks for a specific artist, it'll play like one or two songs by that artist, and then it starts playing stuff that's similar but not the same. You know? Oh yeah. Can, that,
5: well, that's the algorithm though, because what you're doing is it's creating a a, a radio station or a channel for, for your artist, yeah. yeah and they yeah. find things that are similar, or that they think you're
3: going to like and buy. What's, what's interesting is that Google doesn't do that, and, and Amazon's Echo doesn't do that either. If you ask for a specific artist, it just... Well, I, that's using Spotify, I guess, right? Hmm. It plays that one particular artist, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, we did I did manage to get... I didn't figure out how to get Apple Music working on the... Um, and then I figured out how to... You have to ask to, you know, specifically play... I forget what, it, what the magic incantation is, but there is a way to get it to play just one artist for you. Which is kind of nice, too.
5: Can you do something like play such and such only? Well, if you say is play Steely Dan, enough?
3: it'll play Steely Dan. If you say play Walter Becker, it'll play Walter Becker and Steely Dan, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, she she has some obscure, you know, edge casey kind of... M- Melody Gardot is somebody she listens to. I don't know if you've ever heard her. Um, she's sort of a crooner. Um, but, yeah, it has trouble just sticking to the playlist. <laughs> But I, I explained to her how to. I think I'm. I figured out how to get the playlist to work. And I said to her, "You say it in this order, and then it it plays just that one particular artist. Or you can ask for it to play an album if you know the name of the album, right? So anyway, so yeah, this is looking good. Do you think, Rami? What do you think? You're the HomePod expert, I guess, even I'm Yeah, I don't think
4: I will upgrade mine because mine is is working pretty swimmingly uh, for what I ask it to do. But there are some things here that uh, that mine doesn't have that. If you're looking to, to pick up a HomePod for the first time, you might consider like the temperature and humidity sensor, which are uh, part of the, you know, sort of do automation for your household kind of things. The example that I'm reading right here from uh, the Canadian HomePod site is with its built-in sensor, HomePod can detect and tell you the temperature and humidity of the room, and you can set it in automation so the blinds close if the temperature hits 25 degrees uh, Celsius, I'm assuming. Well, that's cool yeah yeah so that's that's useful right okay. so it's a nice quality of yeah. thing
5: I, I was gonna say i have a 20 dollars uh, alarm clock that does that too it has, it has humidity and temperature but it can't open the blinds really
4: oh <laughs> huh. i bet it could if you connected it to like a smart plug right and making a matter a matter uh compatible smart plug
1: yeah
3: yeah that's an that's... interesting idea yeah because i i have um i have a nest uh thermostat and it doesn't like it doesn't play nice with home with home kit right so i have to run a uh, home home bridge app to run to get it anyway so i i just bought a google home or alexa and i use that to to manage i have a door camera that's a nest door camera as well um you know because you can't have you can't have one standard right you know although i i keep apple and google and amazon keep telling me that they're they're coming up with one standard right so we'll see so another thing that seems like a nice quality of life
4: thing that is coming in a future update, and it's unclear from this website if it is only for the newest HomePod or if this will be available for older HomePods, is the HomePod securely listens for smoke and carbon monoxide alarms. If one of these sounds is identified, really? you'll get a notification mm. on iPhone, mm. iPad, and Apple Watch. Which you might be wondering, well, what would you need that for? It's like, well, for one, I may not be... uh in the same sort of building, right? If you're out and about, you might want to know that hey, uh your house yeah, is burning down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh while you're away. So that's for somebody like me who obviously is not hearing impaired. If you are hearing impaired, this is a nice quality of life thing too, that like you don't have to see the actual blinking lights. You can be off in the kitchen. It's like, hey, yo, uh your alarm just went off and it lets you know that quicker. So that's a uh, uh, kind of
3: a cool yeah. thing yeah, to that's do. Cool.
5: Yeah. Could also work as like a baby monitor too. I don't know if there's software for that, but right, if it hears the baby what if, crying, if the baby's getting
3: alarm. too humid and hot or whatever, no,
5: no, uh, the sound uh, recognition, no, no, no. This is it, with the with the smoke alarm. It's
3: it's the sound, right? i big, being facetious, Mark. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. I could have hey, sworn AC, I saw. The baby uh, Apple Watch
4: commercial just to that effect. Mark, is this oh, the thing oh, really? that really oh. exists for the Apple Watch? Like, I think I saw. Oh, maybe. Okay. It was like a, a, a mother who is hearing impaired, and she turns away, and the baby starts crying. She gets a little note on her watch to say, hey, it sounds like a baby maybe crying. She turns around and helps. Like a, I huh. either uh, in a fever dream imagined that such a thing was plausible, or maybe saw a commercial at some point like that on um, on TV
5: so is the watch itself detecting uh, so you have to be in the same room i guess oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, I they seem like yeah. they were in, yeah. a, in an
4: open concept kitchen you know mm-hmm. dining living room area and i assume it was using the same kind of tech that the um, like the decibel noise uh, testing alarms can give you on the watch
3: mm-hmm all right. Well, I have one uh, one last new thing for our our main part of the show here, and that is uh, just something real quick that I saw. Um, it's almost it's almost could be a pick, but you know I'm a big fan of of um, accessibility and supporting that kind of stuff. And uh, so this is a quick little post from about about um, in SwiftUI. If you use uh, localizable strings in your file names, that or in the file name, then voiceover will actually read out that uh that name. So for instance if you have an image here in the example, uh, person.bicycle, person dot bicycle, then uh that's what um voiceover will say. VoiceOver will say person bicycle. But you can also inside your localizable strings file, you if you put a a, a human readable or voiceover readable that string for that person dot bicycle and make it equal to person on a bicycle, that is what in fact Voiceover will say that's kind of a new nice new edition or discovery that uh, just came out um, in December to my mind anyway so all right let's move on to our picks uh, I have a few yeah this is kind of an interesting one it's just improved console output uh, and it's sort of a, a graphic um i don't know if it, i don't know what you call this kind of style where it's not really uh, <laughs> words it's it's images in terms of how to explain things but What's cool about this is a, a little tool that you can do inside of. If you go to your preferences in Xcode, go to themes and click on console, you'll see the, you know, how you, you know, how you can change the, the, the fonts that are available in your, in your system. You can go in and choose the con debugger console output prompts, uh, and change the color to it's a different, so it's a different color than the standard green that you get with the console. Or you can, and you can put in the output and put like change it to like an orange font so that when, the you're at a break point or you're doing a you know PO or whatever inside the console, you'll see the the stuff inside there in a different color rather than all in one color. It makes it a lot more legible and easier to find. So that's kind of a cool little tip. That's uh, from Xcode Tips. And that's my first pick. And my second pick is uh from um Oli Bigaman. He uh has written a, a piece here on Swift view life cycles. We talked about this in the past on the show. Terms of how the the view is you know created and generated and modified as you as you use the app. So this is an interesting article. He's built a, a code uh, built in a demo app that runs on iOS or on Mac, and it goes through the different sort of uh, parts that are pl- that the uh, the view plays. And so he talks about how the SwiftUI um, code creates like a view tree, and then what uh, Chris Eidhof is calling a render tree uh the the view tree is sort of the the template for how you a swift u i will build the view and then the render tree is the actual pieces that it puts into the tree when it's when it's you know running um and creating the view based on what's going on it talks a little bit here about view life cycles and state and what happens to the to the state objects and stuff like that when the view gets destroyed um other little things like um the scroll how scroll views work. Uh, how navigation stacks with you know using using on appear and on disappear kind of calls as well so take uh, sort of putting some of the techno some of the technical information into how Swift with ui views work it, so that you know those of us who don't go down that sort of path can get a better idea of how things are working so i'm not kind of i don't know if you've had a look at this article there's some
4: interesting info here that is sort of non-obvious like uh on appear isn't necessarily called when the state is created it can happen later but never earlier so being real real clear on that is uh, and the stats on that is kind of uh an interesting he says this is an app right you can just get on this on github probably oh,
3: yeah you can yeah i'm trying to trying to figure out what what his app actually does it lays out what you, the screenshots that you see there like the it, it shows the different uh, views and as you tap through it it kind of explains what is happening on it like he explains what it's showing you on the screen as it's showing to showing yeah, it to you
5: okay so it's an instructional thing
3: yeah yeah i haven't actually pulled it out and played with it but yeah i, I kind of I read through the article and it makes I mean, it kind of cool you know share it with people that, that i think need to know this kind of stuff so or would like to know it mm-hmm. that's pick number two uh pick number uh three is a uh, real quick one swift ui has added tap location so now if you're if you're working with an app and you want to cap, capture where on the screen, somebody's tapping, um, this, uh, tap, uh, there's a tap gesture record location, tap gesture location, um, uh, way of accessing that and figure out where somebody's tapping on a screen kind of thing. If you want to capture that, that's cool. quick little article here.
5: This I'll is a, you. this is a useful thing. This is starting yeah. to take Swift UI out of the realm of you can only lay out like lists and grids and things. And actually, do more freeform designs, which was always the problem with so SwiftUI from the beginning—that it was hard to do freeform designs. So, yeah, yeah, very like
3: that one. Cool. And uh, this is another one. This is sort of a this is my last or my next pick is on. Uh, it's doing static analysis on iOS. Um, I was, you know, as I joined a new team coming into it, I'm not really familiar with the code base. I'm not really sure what kind of. Um, security testing that is being done on the app and one of the one of the things that that uh, we used to do all the time at uh, the bank was we would do penetration testing before any release to make sure that you know we were using safe coding practices and we hadn't left any uh, strings or loose ends in the app we hadn't done any um, sort of you know hadn't done anything that that would jeopardize our users and our app and and you know if it's something that you're concerned about, there's a uh, free framework called MobSF, and there's an article here I'm linking from, from Medium on how to use it, how to set it up. Um, and what it does is uh, you create a... Uh, it runs in a lo- on your local machine. You drop your either your um, IPA or your APK if you want to test an Android app, and it will go through and give you a, a, a resulting static analysis of what is going on in your app, and it gives you a big report on, you know, kind of... Different things that can be that can be left open and let you know what the vulnerabilities that you may or may not have in the app. Um, so if you're looking for a sort of DIY uh, penetration test that you can do yourself, just to you know, so you can sleep at night, um, I recommend uh, this uh, pretty cool. It's a pretty cool app. You you create a Docker instance and you run it in Docker on your local machine, and um, it has a little web web page. You upload the stuff to, and it gives you a report. I ran it on a couple of let see if i've got a couple of examples here I, I did run it on some of my own apps just to be sure like you know like a device tracker or pi day countdown just to see what what was going on in my apps and that's pretty insightful i mean some of the things i did have a follow-up conversation with rob napier who's uh, another security expert that i've uh, seen talk at in various places and and he does a lot of uh, common sense talks. so maybe i'll link to one of his uh, latest pieces but he does a lot of common sense stuff so i asked him about some of the some of the results that came back um, in our app, uh, in, in my app, and some of the apps that I work with, and uh, he kind of like you know set me straight as to whether what was important, what wasn't really important. So, but that said, without doing the penetration test yourself, you really don't know where you stand. So, kind of a cool, cool little tool um, that you can run yourself using MobSF. It runs on Android. It does a few more things than it does on Android or so iOS, but. It does run on iOS, which is uh, will analyze your iOS apps as well.
4: I mean it's it's kinda cool to be able to run these sorts of things yourself as a sort of gut check on a lot of these things. I think there's the yeah. um oh what is that what is that group called? I'm sure it's probably mentioned in our culture project look. Is it WASP? wasp? something like
3: that. OWASP, yeah. O O W A S P. Thank you. Whatever their acronym Open stands web, for, that it something. is
4: impossible yeah. to answer without machines that can search for content live. Um, regardless, you know, they come out with their like top 10 vulnerabilities and year to year, they don't really change that much. Right. Um, I, I think sort of every five years, every 10 years, you can kind of see them drift, but, the sort of basic things that, uh, the low hanging fruit that attackers are looking for. Um, I like having these kinds of tools to, you know, make sure you don't have these kinds of things. Will it protect you against, uh, exotic things? Will it protect you against, uh, nation state level kind of attacks? I would say probably not, but your threat model is probably not, you know, um, I am the, the head of state of a, of a nation and probably more like You know, I don't want people breaking my app just for giggles or because they're trying to use it to uh, mine crypto or steal credentials or something. So
3: the reality is if you're if you are like if you're running a financial app or or, you know, you are running a Bitcoin wallet or something like that, you definitely want to spend the money on on a proper penetration test. And that's where the actual actual ethical hackers will try and break into your app. They'll try and decompile it. I'll try and look through all this stuff. And this sort of what this app does or this this process does. It goes through it but it doesn't really go at a deep level. Um you can actually have people who will do hands on testing, but you know, the budget for that is like anywhere from I mean you might like be looking at anywhere from five thousand to twenty thousand dollars per test. So yeah, I mean this is this is not gonna cost you a nickel. <laughs> but you know, it's it's a starting point at least, right? You can start having the conversation with your teams and that kind of stuff. And then as a real-time follow-up, uh, OWASP is, it's like O and then WASP, like a bug. Uh, it's Open Web Application Security Project, and it, it's been around for, it's obviously there for web as well as for uh, mobile apps as well. And they've they, they come together and they create tools and resources and education on, you know, good coding practices and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, if your team is, you know, you can also do um, education stuff for your team to to bring their their knowledge, their security knowledge up as well, right? And one more. I've got two more. And one. This one is uh, called Git Ignore. I was setting up a new project the other day, and I was, you know, I have, you know, I tend to go into my Git Ignore file for each Xcode project because you don't want to, you don't need to, you know, com- um, store the workspace and all your pref, your personal preferences and your breakpoints and stuff like that into your GitHub code or your GitHub repository. So you know, you set up a Git Ignore file for that purpose to tell it to what files to ignore. And so I have a, a, a standard one that I kind of just drag, you know, I copy it from one previous project to another, but I found this site the other day called getignored.io. Um You can go in there, you can tell it what application you're working with, whether it's WordPress or Xcode or Swift or whatever, and it will create a standard um, based on, you know, work that other people have done, but... It'll create you a standard Xcode uh, .gitignore file, for example, that will ignore all the stuff that Xcode sort of puts into your project automatically that, again, doesn't need to be backed up to your and and shared to your team. That way you're not going to clobber somebody else's settings and that kind of stuff. So uh That's from top to all. It's pretty cool.
4: Yeah, and you can combine things, too. It's, it's not like you just enter in one. So uh, I, I did one for just Xcode, and that's it. All right, well, realistically, uh, you're going to use... Xcode on Mac OS and good old dot D S underscore store, uh, the band yeah, of my existence. Yeah. <laughs> always forget about that. Um, this is one of those bookmark tools of just, you know, type in what your, your tool set is. And this will give you as far as I can tell, a pretty sensible, uh, git ignore. So you can not have the, whoops, here's the cleanup for the initial commit of my repo kind of stuff. It even does like Swift package manager too.
3: Yeah, like it won't put my my XC user data in there. It won't put, you know, XC checkout. It won't, won't, parts of the, internal parts of the Xcode project, it won't bother um, putting in there as well. And if I think if it puts Swift in it, put in more than just Xcode. Yeah, so if you put Swift in, it puts a whole bunch of stuff in it. It'll ignore packages. It'll ignore playground files. You know, uh, it'll ignore Carthage and and, uh, CocoaPods if you're using those. Actually, it doesn't, doesn't, um... How to magically uh, put them in? It gives you the comments, and then you can uncomment in the, li- the lines that you need for that, right? Because you, you need to put in. Obviously, it's not going to be able to dynamically know what um, cocoa pods you've got in, or package or Swift packages you're using. You have to do some manual work, but but it is pretty quick at um, at sort of doing that kind of stuff, right? DSim doesn't put those in. Doesn't put the actual IPA in as well, right? You know, I don't know why you would store that in your project folder, but you know it, it covers your butt. And my last one, and this might take a bit more time to go through, but uh, I'm curious about Xcode Cloud, and we've talked about Xcode Cloud in the past, and this tutorial came out in December. I went through it the other day because I was curious about it because um, I'm you know, comparing it to like BitRise, which I'm currently using in my, in my working life, and I want to see what the difference was with Xcode Cloud. So I grabbed this uh, tutorial here, um, and it walks you through uh, starting off. This is the project I was talking about that I started up new. And uh, it creates this little, it gives you this sample code for his coffee application. Um, and then he goes through how to um, set up Xcode or set up Xcode cloud with this, with this app. And the problem is in his tur- tutorial, he's called the app coffee, but you know, you need to give it a unique name. So I put like coffee, Tim Metro, one, two, three, four, for example, uh, is, is how I named it. And and you know, what I found was it was a few little areas that it didn't like, is it? it will archive the app it'll do the unit tests and it'll do the UI tests if you have them in your app as well and a bunch of other things that it can do as well screenshots and marketing and all that kind of stuff but um and this is this is based on the buddy build uh, thing that we talked about in uh, previous years right and it's a slightly different buddy build was a bit easier to set up the next go cloud is to be honest with you um so you create your create your repository you create your project uh, i did have some problems with some of the naming uh, of my UI tests like they wouldn't run locally and then if they ran locally, they wouldn't run on, on Xcode Cloud. So I, went, I figured out how to go back in and, and I, you know, sort of took it one next level and I created a project with the proper name and then went through and and got it to work properly for me. So it's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. It's very similar to BitRise in that, you know, you you set it up, uh, you set it to archive your app. Uh, you can set it to push to, to test flight, which I've done as well. Uh, you know, you add your internal testers inside of Xcode in Xcode test flight, or sorry, i uh, App Store Connect test flight, and then um, every time you do a commit, or every time sorry, every time you push a commit up to, or push a yeah yeah push a commit up to the to GitHub, it interface it integrates with your GitHub. Um, the daemon actually check takes uh the the build takes it moves it over to Xcode Cloud, builds it, runs it runs the tests for you, runs the you know archives the app. Puts it up to test flight and pushes the test flight build out to your users, which is, so it's kind of cool, like from an end to end point of view, if you were on a relatively small team and you wanted to give it a shot, you know, um, it's kind of cool. So it, it is trying to compete with tools like Bitrise um, and other tools that do that kind of stuff. I don't know if, if anybody's done like a hand built one, you know, like I know one of the jobs I worked at previously, they had Jenkins workflow with, you know, Bitbucket and all this other kind of stuff, all all connected and doing similar things. But yeah, it's kind of a once you set it up. As Amy was saying earlier, when we were talking about uh with Runway, it kind of it kind of automates a lot of those sort of uh everyday processes that you that you would have to you know you don't have to think about it anymore, just kind of do it. Right? That's so kind of cool. Have you guys had a chance to look at Xcode Cloud at all? I have not. I have not either. Keeping my yeah. eye on it though. Yeah, it's pretty cool, and and as we, I think we mentioned, I think until the end of this year, you get twenty five hours per month um, for free. And oh, and also when you go into into um, App Store Connect, you can also see the your usage of this tool. So just playing around with this tutorial, I probably did like ten or fifteen commits. Pretty small code base. Um, I probably I don't think I've used thirty thirty minutes, you know, as an example, and that's playing around with it for like a couple of days, right? So yeah, that's cool. That's the end of my picks. And then we're going to throw over to Jaime for uh, a little bit of levity.
4: Yeah, um, this is called How to Professionally Say. It's a website put together by, uh, I saw the name somewhere, Akash uh, Rajpohort. And it has a concept of here is what you would feel like saying, but this is what you would probably want to say instead to, uh, maintain, uh, some professionalism and, you know, we're all human. It can be really tough, but let me give you some examples that I happen to save here. Uh, if you feel like saying you are wasting my time, you might want to consider saying being respectful of time. Let's regroup when more details become available. Or how about, um, did you even read my email? Uh, there's some alternatives. Yeah. You could say, uh, reattaching my email to provide further clarity, or perhaps uh, I'll provide an update when I have one. Um, and maybe one of my favorites here, uh, for no particular reason, is uh, that meeting sounds like a waste of my time. Instead of saying that, you should probably say, I'm unable to add value to this meeting, but I would be happy to review the minutes. And, uh, it's a nice little website where you can, you can search for this. You can, um, favorite them and filter by your favorites. You can even print the thing and put it on your wall where nobody can see it on camera. <laughs> you just right, yeah. let your eyes, uh, sort of roll over to the side and, and glance to the side and, and be able to to read from your
3: little script. Uh it's, uh, it's cute. Yeah. So if you, if you want to say, I to- I totally forgot about your email, you can say, thank you for your patience. <laughs> yes. How about this one? I couldn't, I couldn't care less. I defer to your judgment on this as I'm not passionate either way and trust your expertise. That's funny. I think I tend to say, uh, I don't have any strong opinions on that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do whatever. uh, I'll I'll go with that. Yeah.
4: You know, it's, it's, uh, open source. So you can always contribute your own, uh, your own options. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Looks like you've got like a little, uh, little JSON structure.
5: Now, so should don't you connect us to J- uh, ChatGPT and see what they come up with as yeah, true. when you type in the thing you want to say, if they can translate it to something more <laughs> <Yeah>. office correct.
4: <laughs> <laughs> GPT, tell this jerk
3: to read my stupid emails, but like do it professionally. <laughs> That's the prompt. <laughs> How about I don't believe you? I'm not confident the information you provided is
4: correct. You know, I think Mark's on the right path there because... He's actually got a right idea. So this if I were to look at the flaws of this pick that I've chosen here, and that they're they're fairly generalized. They're not context specific. So what you do need is additional context for, you know, the AI to understand, well, is this person your peer? Are they your superior? Are they technically not in your command hierarchy? But like they sort of vaguely have influence over this area. Like those are realistic things that uh, that people run into that sure would be nice to offload that to the the chat gpt's
3: mm-hmm. yeah and it's not using like natural language processing in the search because if you you type in a specific word and it's used in the in either the, the comment or the question then it'll uh it'll find it but if you try and put something like um dances instead of dancing it won't uh won't find it
4: too bad Pull request accepted, <laughs> Tim. So you're right. If you put in overcomplicate <laughs> instead of overcomplicating, it's clear that it's doing exact word search and not word stemming, as uh, I've learned that yeah. it was called. Where you, you oh, take a word called, and, and take the, the alternate thing, yeah. forms
3: of it. Word stemming. We'll have to work that into the title of the show, I guess. Right. I guess that's it for another show. Uh, so, hi, maybe if people can get in touch with you, where would they find you? I'm on Twitter is at dev the Are you on Mastodon yet?
4: I'm not. I am and waiting to see. And and long-time listeners of the show know that I, I pick and choose what I'm early adopter on. So on on some topics, I'm like, mm, I'll let y'all millions of y'all be the the guinea pigs for things like uh, new iOS releases or etc. For things that require sort of a a critical mass of folks i'm not going to be an early adopter and still not an early adopter of of mastodon i'm sort of seeing which way the wind is blowing as uh as uh you know the the owner of twitter runs around chewing cables in the office to see what breaks uh, as somebody once said um and haven't yet committed to moving to mastodon although i am keeping an eye on things like uh ivory that work in progress app from the Tapbot folks. Tweetbot folks. Hey, Mark, if people want to get in touch with you, where would they find
5: yeah, you? Yeah, MarkR at MapSoft.com, because I don't put my future in the hands of some insane billionaire.
3: Maniac, yeah. <laughs> my name is Dimitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machines, where you'll find me. You can also find me on Instagram, and you can also find me on Mastodon. You can also find me on YouTube with that handle. So, yeah, until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 This has
2: been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fireside.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends, leave a comment on the website, or write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word.
3: So, what are you saying about what happened today with the with the, Is it Donald Trump we're talking yeah. about, or no, it's not Donald Trump, yeah. the other guy? The
5: other no, guy. Trump. Trump is back. On
3: he's on. Yep. What? Yep. On Twitter today. Yep. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. Well, I I would never know because I've had a Trump filter on my Twitter account since 2016. So
5: well, I don't know how much oh. he's posted, but it's as of today, he's he's officially allowed back.
3: Well, is it, isn't not parlour or whatever parlour par? Is it parlor Is it called parlour? Is it supposed to be parlay but parlour? Yep.
5: Yeah. It was originally supposed to be parlay, but because a lot of dumb people used it, they changed it to parlor.
3: Parlor? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like uh, the restaurant in the States. Uh, it's prêt à manger, but um, I think you guys say prêt à manger. Who says that? guess you're familiar with that. How do you say prêt à manger?
5: Prêt à manger. <laughs> Even with my okay. terrible French accent, I still.
3: Do you, do you put your little pinky up when you say it? No. No, it's just funny because I, I, when I first started working in Chicago, um, yeah, I heard somebody said it once and I went, no, it's prêt manger, you know?
5: Yeah, there used to be a restaurant around here called uh, Boulanger, and people would call it Boulanger's. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Boulanger's. Boulanger's. Yeah, adding yeah, an S yeah. to the end, of course, where there's no S.
3: <laughs> well, that's true. Like, I yeah, I, I do, I play with that. Like, I call Rogers, like a Roger's, you know? yeah, it just Makes it seem well, much more good. Target you know? is Let, the classic, less painful. Classic. One Target, man, right? Target. Yes. Target. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Target is spelt Target in French as well, en Francais. Mm. Yeah. hmm So that's that's the reason for not going, that, that would be your reason for not, for switching to Mastodon, is that Trump, I'm sure Trump can get on Mastodon if he wanted. I don't see any reason why. I mean, you can block people on Mastodon. That's, I guess that's the, the side benefit of it. Whereas, you know, you don't have any control over that stuff on uh, on the bird side, as as they're calling it. Are you asking
4: me?
5: I don't use any of them.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he has no skin in the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. How quickly you forget.
4: So have
5: you heard the news that with the, uh, the Gen Z, not the Gen Z, but what's after Gen Z now, whatever they're called? Alphas? Yeah. The hot new thing now is to get old flip phones because you can take them with you and not have access to social media. And so you're, oh, wow, so you're more really? in the real world. Yeah. This is the new thing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Crazy. Yeah. I heard there was a new app today that, that the kids are all getting on, but I didn't, I didn't get a chance to look it up. You know, that's that's there, Tammy's been saying that she wants to get a, a, a stick and a piece of string and get rid of her, her smartphones, yeah. Right. she's, she's got it, uh, got it down pat. I think that was the name of one of her episodes. One.
4: Yeah. I feel like yeah. some of that, uh, along with the, um, uh, the physical Instagram for Polaroid stuff coming back and uh, vinyl records and et cetera, feels like uh, some some retro, I, I, it's hard to call it nostalgia because some of these folks were not alive when these things had their heyday. So it's yeah, vicarious nostalgia, I suppose, um, or perhaps a backlash against being hyper-connected in a digital world where nothing feels real and here's this tangible thing that you can do something with or here's this thing that, limits all of the sore points that you have like the i assume nokia phones that they're getting or
5: yeah Dark star Tacks, right those motorola ones
3: oh the, the, the very first That's ones flip those flip cool. phones. right i just got rid of all my flip phones hmm. did it have to be a flip phone or just going to be like any because on, on it's funny i noticed on um uh what was it called um the last of us he was using a nokia phone at the very beginning of it right yeah, because I think it opens up in
4: like 2003. So, yeah, t- uh, was it 2003? Is that when the show starts? Uh, technically, the first scene is 1968, but for for Joel, oh, is it's, it? oh. it's 2003, and then stuff happens 20 years later to bring it to 2023. Uh, so that would make sense. What that happens in be...
3: 1968? Hmm? What happens in 1968? They they show, show the scientists
4: mm-hmm. talking about the. The fungus. Oh, stuff.
3: the two guys sitting in the chair. Yeah, sort of yeah, the, yeah, the premise yeah.
4: for the show. Um,
3: right. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
4: But the good old Nokias, uh, you know, where they've, you know, they're built like a brick, indestructible, and yeah. have like a weak battery life, uh, a week long, and not weak as in weak and strong, but as in a week
5: long, several days battery life. Remember there was a trend for a while where phones, cell phones were getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Whereas there used to yes. be these ones that were like an inch long and half an inch wide. It was your phone.
3: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you could lose it. Yeah.
4: yeah. little like candy yeah. bar, stick of gum
3: kind of phones. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was really hard to play games on those though. Yeah. But you could.
5: Or um, write an
4: I, email. A
3: snake game. Yeah. Or write an email, yeah. yeah. Or tr- surf the internet even. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, remember, what was it called? A WAP browser? W-A-P? The text-based browser? I had a friend who used to, like, he used to love his BlackBerry. He could throw it across the room and it would survive, right? Whereas, you know, you throw an iPad 10 feet and it's broken, right? <laughs> Same guy would throw his iPad out of his car when he got frustrated. But mm. What else is going on? What's been happening in your lives? How's your COVID? Who's, who's COVID? Who's COVID? You have COVID? Somebody? I had it. But I had it, it last summer. Like, it was just, it was, like, cold. Yeah. yeah. Well, we went to Ireland. Did I tell you about going to Ireland since we've been talking? I think or so. Last time we did, now. I think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We we ended up getting COVID on the way back. Mm. Yeah, so it was you know, a couple of us were you know not feeling well. But I, I, for me, it was like sniffles and a bit of sinus pain and a little bit of coughing and that kind of stuff. But it yeah, just felt like a cold. I had a
5: sinus infection for about a week, and that was about it.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's how I manifest when I have a cold. Anyway, I right. like start in my sinuses, and it moves into my throat, and then into my chest, and yeah. then it's gone. Right.
5: So, I, I kind of wonder if, when I had, if I also had a cold at the same time that I had COVID, and the symptoms well, were yeah. just the cold, not the COVID.
3: Well, it could be. I mean, it could yeah. be that it's it's uh, suppressing your yeah. r- your immune response. Yeah, right? exactly.
5: So, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Or I, mean, yeah, that, I go. that or actually increasing your immune response, right? Because that's what. That's what the symptoms are. Are your immune response right yeah. when your nose yeah. is running? All that—that's that is your immune response. But yeah. but it can make you weaker when you. It can make you more susceptible to catching something, and then you get a immune response in, in response to that.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we had to wait for our for the the new booster. We I think we can go get it now because it's been. Um, I think we had to wait six months or something before we could get it because because we had the infection, right? Mm. Yeah. It has to do with the efficacy of the vaccine, right? Mm-hmm.
5: This is the uh, the covalent one, which is Omicron. Yeah,
3: the, the the new shiny one, because apparently now the Seattle Kraken var- variation is the new one, right? <laughs> the Kraken variation? I mean, now? The, the the yeah, there's um, a Kraken version now. Carol the, told me the today. Star Wars droid one, the
4: XBB.1.5. dot one. dot five <laughs> the uh, <laughs> the Xcode you know zip archive, uh like oh crap, I have one point three and one point five. Okay, got it. <laughs>
3: yeah, that's it. That's the one.
4: I'm wondering if we're going to be yeah. in the US on a yearly cycle and settle into that kind of like the flu shots. So I'm looking at oh, my i Think so. Mm. Yeah, I think so. Looks like September of 2022 was the most recent one. The bivalent one. Um, yeah. And since I've not heard anything coming up for spring or summer, I assume it'll be right around fall. Mm. Have you had the fourth booster or whatever it is, second booster, I mean? Uh, Hold on. It gets complicated. So since it was Pfizer all the way through, had the first two shots, one of the boosters, although it did not qualify for one of them because I wasn't old enough and didn't have any... um, uh, uh, comorbidities of any sort, pre-existing conditions. So it wasn't until s- September that I ended up getting the what would have been fourth for me, but fifth possible if you know you meet all the right conditions.
5: Hmm.
3: You've had them all, Mark. I've had all of them.
5: I've lost track of how many there are by this time point. By this point, but uh, I've had them all.
3: Yeah, thankfully our our app. Um, we have a health health card Oh out yeah,
4: thing, or I can check
3: my let's
4: That's exactly what I did. I just went into my my Apple Wallet passbook and just double-checked my vaccination
3: card. Yeah, I think I've had four, but I don't know. You can look in the back, right?
5: Oh, that's interesting. I got a new phone, and it didn't migrate my Vax card. I'll have to import
3: import it again. again.
5: Yeah, Yeah.
4: Yeah, I think it's all pretty secure. It
5: may be recoverable
4: through Apple Health, but I don't recall if that's true or not, or if you have to...
3: Uh, go through I the think you just scan the barcode, again. right? Yeah. And it puts it back in.
5: Yeah, should be able to uh, Scan the
3: barcode. Yeah, so I, I've had four. I'm I'm looking for my fifth one now. So my third booster, the new fancy fancy shiny booster with the Apple logo on it. I mean, if you get two two vaccines, can you make like a stereo pair with them? Yeah.
5: <laughs> you know, I would be okay with having sets of two of those HomePods if you could connect multiple sets. Up to make like a surround sound like 7.1 kind of thing
3: you know what i want to do i have i have a downloaded copy of and i don't know if it works or not but i have a downloaded copy of the quadraphonic version of dark side of the moon yeah but i have nothing to listen to it on. right, right. you know i don't have like i don't have i mean i guess I, I guess i could try it on my surround sound stereo but yeah i don't know if, i don't know how that is it like five and one or whatever but you know, back in, back in when that version came out, it, you had to have four speakers, you know, and a, and a quadraphonic stereo. It's like all the, like, you know, uh, like the people who bought the 3D three televisions that don't do anything, yeah. anymore, right? Like, that wasn't that bad. No, it's,
5: I haven't, I can't see the barcode yet. Oh, crap. It sent me the barcode on my phone.
3: That's not useful. That's not useful at all. Let me try drop it, to airdrop it. to your mind. iPad. I airdrop the file to your iPad.
5: Yeah, well, oh, I man. have the, uh a text message they sent me with the link and my messages on the Mac. So I can do that. That's,
3: I think that's kind of cool. I don't know if you've ever done that with, with one password. If you open a QR code on a screen on your Mac and then you open and you want to do like the two factor authentication thing on the same Mac, if you open one password, it will find the QR code on one of your open windows without having to navigate to that window. Have you ever tried that? Say it again. If you... Like, if you go to a website and they give you a QR code for two-factor authentication, they yeah. say, like, here, scan this QR code, right? Yeah. And you have the one, pers- one password app on the Mac, the same Mac, you just go to the one password, go to the, to the record you want to update, click on two-factor authentication or, you know, one-time password, and it will scan all the windows on your Mac to find the QR code without you having to navigate yeah. to that QR code. That's pretty cool. Super handy. That's a smart bit of engineering, you know, if you think about it. They're just, I mean, they're just looking at the open windows on the Mac, right? And just navigating. Cause I mean, I don't know if, what you guys know about Unix environments, but you know, you've always been able to have multiple windows open and wherever your cursor were hovered over to would be the act, would become the active window. And would, without bringing it to the front, like we have to do on Mac, right? You could actually type in that screen. Like, you know how you can scroll on a screen that's not uh, in the front, frontmost most window? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you could type and interact with that screen on a Unix system without navigate without actually bringing that window to the front so it's kind of the same sort of idea it's just looking at all the looking at the, the window group and finding one that has a qr code that hopefully matches the qr code you, you don't open two at once i wonder what would happen if you did that looks like it
5: uh, looks like i've had three boosters after the initial two shots so i've had five shots and yeah, that day. sounds it's about right kind of i was sense. under the,
4: the age limit so out of yeah. five possible i've only had four
5: yeah so i had the first two a month apart and the first booster was six months after that second booster was six months after that third booster was only five months after that i got it early i guess but it's now been four months since then so i'm getting to be due for another one if they if that's a thing
3: can you come up with one i don't know we well, have to wait for the kraken, va- or kraken variation to come variation to
5: come you should be able to get the same one again right um just, yeah, to, get, to, just to get a, a booster
3: Oh to get a top up, yeah, yeah. See what you mean? Yeah. Well speaking of important things, you got to see uh Jeff Beck with Johnny Depp.
5: I did get to see Jeff Beck two months before he died. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, eh. Yeah. Hm. Um was it a good show? It was or? an amazing show. Unbelievable show. I mean there was there were no sign he had any medical issues at all. And I guess he didn't at the time. No, it was a it was a it was, virus or he had yeah. meningitis, or something. Yeah, yeah. bacterial. So that just comes on real fast. Yeah. So he was fantastic. I mean, even, even the Johnny Depp stuff was pretty good. Johnny Depp kind of came out for maybe like a third of the show, maybe not even, maybe a quarter of the show. Um, so yeah, so he went out, Beck went out there at the beginning, played, it was all, everything he did was, um, instrumental as usual. And yeah, so he played a good half the show instrumental. Then Johnny Depp came out for, like I said, a third or a quarter. And then Johnny Depp left, and Ben Beck did the ended the show with like some kind of the standard, you know, stuff yeah. that you'd expect. Big hits, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you can call them big hits. Well, <laughs> oh, Freeway Jam, Freeway Jam, because we, really we ended them. as lovers. Blow by blow,
3: yeah, 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 yeah.
5: Yeah, fantastic show. Really sad. Really sad.
3: Yeah, I actually, I, actually, I think uh, it was one of the times I went to a concert by myself. I, I can't remember if I got, like, tickets from a, an actual scalper. Uh-huh. Um, but this is back in 2010. I went and looked it up, because I still have the T-shirt, right? And I uh-huh. have um, a ticket stub or whatever. But um, it was Eric Clapton and Jeff Beck, right? Uh-huh. So, and they didn't play in the Yardbirds at the same time, because right. Clapton left the Yardbirds, and then um, Jeff Beck joined after him. But... um so I think I I missed the first bunch of songs because that was Jeff Beck's set, and then Eric Clapton came out and did a bunch. Uh. And I that's I, one of the first times I actually recorded anything with my iPhone because I actually have um, some of the uh, some of the music on video uh, on my phone. But then I also used the video the voice memo app to record a couple of songs. And then they two the two of them came out and played a couple of couple of yards Yardbird songs together. Uh. Right? Yeah. So it was kind of cool. They did um, Shape of Things and. But like you know, Copton did like you know um, uh, what's the heaven song? Um, if I see you tears heaven. in heaven, tears in heaven. Yeah, and and he did. Uh, I shot the sheriff, which I, I had the forty-five of that when I was a kid, um, and a bunch of and a bunch of the sort of uh, unplugged blue stuff that he does. So yeah, it was really really cool. And you know, like I was sitting on the opposite end of the arena from him. Like it was at at uh, Scotiabank Arena. And I couldn't be further away from the stage if I tried, and it was still a, an amazing show. Yeah. So I, I can't say I got to see Jeff Beck, because my favorite album by Jeff Beck is the Jan Hammer Group album. The live oh, group. really? Yeah, yeah, that's my favorite. Oh, I, that and Truth. I like Truth. Truth is, very yeah, first it,
5: is, is Well, Truth nice. and Blow by Blow, I think, are his best, in my opinion.
1: Yeah,
3: I mean, have a, I think I have all of those, too. and yeah, I mean, even even that, even though Rod Stewart is a singer, I mean, still, it still still sounds good. No, no, right? no that, he was Rod
5: Stewart was a great blues singer. I mean, he got all. Oh, I know, I know. And, yeah,
3: okay. I, I I totally get that. But yeah, I think he kind of went over the, the deep end in the in the two thousands or ninety yeah. nineties. I guess. Yeah. Right?
5: yeah, yeah. But yeah, before he was big, he was great.
3: Yeah, some of some of the some of the stuff that he did with um, Ron Wood the on Small Faces, um, Small Faces, yeah, small faces, yeah. yeah. like his version of maybe MMA's or their version of maybe MMA's and a couple of, um, uh, faces songs that they did, which are really good too. There there's, And there's a, as a BBC, they did a, a, like a show at BBC back in the day. And it's probably one of the best live performances of that group, you know, including that, that cover of McCartney cover.
5: Well, for future reference, don't try to upload an iPhone photo to Slack.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because
5: it's, it's spinning and spinning and spinning. Oh, maybe my network is just slow. I guess, but
3: yeah, I, d- I upload funds to images to slow my on my phone all the time. Just huh. like, in fact, the, the images I sent you guys uh, yesterday were from my phone.
5: It's saying I'm on Wi-Fi, I don't know why it's taking so long.
4: I guess it depends on. I know. Are you doing like a screenshot or? I don't know. It was
5: thing. a picture it's, I took with the camera.
4: Yeah. Okay. So. Those sometimes end up in that. I forget the the other format that they use that is. Yeah. Yeah.
5: Yeah.
4: And sometimes it seems like Slack, whatever process it's using to deal with those hangs uh, every once in a while. Not, not consistently. Hmm. It's not an every time thing, but it just sort of randomly decides whatever, or maybe it's iOS. That's got something that breaks every once in a while in, in handling that.
5: Yeah. Hmm. Well, I can cancel and try again. Or airdrop it to my laptop. Let's see how that works. Yeah, that was like instantaneous. Okay, so let me try to... I mean, that that was like literally just like less than a second. Hmm. So it's definitely... And okay, now let me bring it into Slack on the Mac. And it definitely is an HEIC um, file. Okay, Slack says it's processing uploaded file. Oh, and that took... Yeah, that took no time. Oh, but I haven't tried to send it yet. Let to try to send it. Okay.
3: Oh well, look, there's an image coming from Mark. coming. I mean, what do you know?
4: <laughs> yeah, see, so... I oh, you had good yeah. wow. Did you do the exact same process that you tried to do before?
5: Uh, so the first time, I did it directly from my phone, just sharing to Slack. Yeah. The second yeah. time, I airdropped to my desktop and then just drag and dropped it into Slack on my desktop. And it took, like, no time at all on the
3: desktop. Weird. Wow. So you're sitting pretty close to the stage? Um, not
5: as close as it looks, actually. Uh, this oh, is just okay, how good the iPhone is. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. but yeah. I was reasonably pro- close. I was maybe 15 rows out. Yeah. But yeah, it looks like I'm right there behind the monitor.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is a bit, a bit uh, fuzzy, but yeah, it's a good shot. Is he wearing glasses? Uh, no, I don't think so. Like an old guy. Yeah. With his shadow, I guess.
5: I don't think so. Cool. I have other pictures. Let me check. I need to have my glasses to to see, of course. (laughs) Oh, maybe he is. Hmm. Yeah, I think he is, actually. All right, let me try this one. I'll do the same procedure.
3: This is great podcast stuff. Yeah. Should we uh, sign off and stop recording? Yeah, let's do that. I'm going to stop recording.
5: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.